And uh, it's from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you uh, to turn them to James. Uh, And I'm going to uh, read uh, from James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Has not God been rich to those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with uh, Dr. Zeus. I hope you are. He's a wonderful, uh, wonderful author. And in our house, as we're reading books to kids, one of my favourite authors is Dr. Zeus. And one of the... the uh, one of the stories he has is the star belly sneeches. Now I'm just going to uh, read you the first part of that. Uh, the star belly sneeches. Now the star belly sneeches had bellies with stars. The plain belly sneeches had none upon those. Those stars weren't so big. They were really so small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star-belly sneeches would brag, we're the best kind of sneech on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. We'll have nothing to do with that plain-belly sort. And whenever they met some, when they were out walking, they'd hike right on past them without even talking. When their star-belly children went out to play ball, could a plain-belly get in the game? Not at all. You only could play if your belly had stars and the plain belly children had none upon theirs. When the star belly sneeches had frankfurter roasts or picnic or parties or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the plain belly sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. They kept them away, never let them come near and that's how they treated them year after year. Well, uh, Dr. Zeus's story is a wonderful illustration of how discrimination is so central to the fabric of our interactions with each other, the haves and the have-nots, those with stars and those with none upon theirs. 
Or perhaps in our time, the stars could be cars, could be houses, could be clothes, could be a type of phone that we use. It could be wealth, the postcode you live in. It could be the shape of your body. It could be the colour of your skin, the fluency of your English, your gender, your age, your ability or your disability. See, discrimination is quite in the fabric of how we determine our friends, where we live, our potential life partners, what products we buy, and where we will even eat lunch. See, they say we have seven seconds to make a good impression upon someone. Who's in? Who's out? Who has stars and who has none upon theirs? Well, sadly, the church at times is no different. Even a welcoming church can be filled with exclusive groups or, uh, which are anything but inclusive. And even the church collectively can have unwritten expectations or stars, how you dress, when to stand, when to sing, how to address the important people. See, why do you think the world sees Christianity as a place of rules than a place of grace. It's because so often we say, you have none upon thars. Well, this morning, James is addressing this problem in the church. We're now entering the main body of the letter of James. Last week, we saw James introduce the main themes to answer his big question in this letter. What does authentic faith look like? Or what is authentic faith? See, what is authentic faith we saw in weakness, in wisdom, and in wealth? And chapter 2 deals with wealth. What does authentic authentic faith look like in our poverty and in our riches? And in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, we are going to discover that authentic faith does not discriminate. And James begins this section by stating exactly that. So if you have your uh, Bibles there, just turn to the, uh, to, the first, to the first verse there of James chapter 2. Can, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Well, it's pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. Favoritism, discrimination. Everyone should be treated equally. But then James goes on to illustrate this point. What is the hypothetical that he uses? Well, let's have a look at verses 2 to 4. He says this. He says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, he's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Well, uh, James introduces two people here. The first has wealth. He's a star-bellied snitch. The second has no wealth. He has none upon theirs. See, in James's day, a person with gold rings, as we're told, had the status of, uh, of a social status and had lots of money. In the social order, they ranked extremely high. This man, we're told, is also clothed with luxury, with splendor. See, it's, he's not only rich, 
but he has a status that deserves and demands in the world a great attention. And so he walks in to this uh, meeting, the, the congregation, the church. See, he was used to being afforded all the special attention because of his wealth. Well, the second man is described by a word for poor here that is used for the most extreme forms of poverty. Even the poor would look down on this person. He is destitute. He is filthy. He is the homeless bum. This is the homeless guy who hasn't showered for months, whose very smell is repulsive. See, it would be the difference between Twiggy Forest walking into our congregation and a homeless guy who hasn't eaten or showered for months. And imagine one Sunday they both walk in at the same time. Well, I'm sure that we would be looking uh, towards Twiggy and saying, well, here's a good seat for you, Twiggy. Here, Twiggy. I want to get to know Twiggy. Now, I'm not saying Twiggy's a nasty man, but he's also a devout Christian. But he comes into our congregation, and perhaps we're thinking straight away, well, wouldn't he be a great if he stayed here and we've got a building program? Maybe he can pay for that. We've afforded him all the attention that we can. Well, the homeless guy, well, we don't really want to sit next to him, do we? He smells. We don't really want him in the building at all. See, in this passage, the, des- the, 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 the rich man is singled out. Notice it says, here's a good seat for you. It's specific. You, you're the rich person. This is your seat. No one else can sit there. But the destitute man is also singled out. He's not even worthy of the seat. He's given two options. Well, you can stand, or the NIV here says, you can sit. But in fact, what it says literally in the original language is you can sit under my footstool. And what it's saying is that we know your place amongst us. You are to sit under us. We are all above you. See, James is saying this is wrong. A person's wealth, their skin colour, their ethnicity, their intellect, their job title, there are no grounds in the church for discrimination. Nobody should be shown favouritism because of their wealth. Nobody should be shown favouritism because of their social status or their appearance. There are no grounds for discrimination in the church. Well, in verses 5 to 11, James then goes on to explain why discrimination should not be part of the Christian life. And he says that discrimination is inconsistent with God's way and God's law, which ultimately reflects God's character. Now, I'll just read to you again uh, verses five, uh, 5 to 8. Let me just read those to you, or 5 to 11. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him 
whom you, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So the issue we've got here is firstly, God doesn't discriminate against the poor, so no, nor should we. It is not his way, it is not his character, nor was it ever part of the law that was reflecting his character. Verse 5 uh, says, he chooses the poor to be rich in faith. Not only that, their faith brings them into a new status. It brings them into an inheritance far more valuable than what we judge here on the earth. They are now God's children. They now inherit his kingdom. They may look uh, poor on the earth, but in the kingdom of God, they inherit co-heirs as anyone else who has faith in the Lord Jesus. And that's the honour that they deserve to be shown. But this was always written in the law. So if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, Deuteronomy 15.7 says, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. But James in verse 8 and 9, he says this is actually the heart of the entire law. Remember Jesus summed up the entire law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. He's saying that if you do not treat everyone equally, if you do not look upon everyone as in the image of God and to love them, then you have broken the royal law, the law which sums up the law. Love your neighbour as yourself. See, if there's one characteristic that God has that is so countercultural, it is how he judges a person. See, when God directed Samuel the prophet, if you remember back to the Old Testament, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he sends, God sends Samuel to go and anoint a new king for Israel. And it was coming from one of Jesse's sons. Now, Samuel didn't know which son was going to be anointed. And so all the sons are lined up. And the very first one is Eliab. And Eliab has great physical appearance. And even Samuel the prophet says this. He says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But God then says to Samuel in chapter, uh, in chapter 16 verse 7. He says, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So it turned out the youngest forgotten boy, David, who was out looking after the sheep uh, as the shepherd of the family, the one who was poor in the eyes of his brothers and poor in the eyes of the world, was in fact the one that God had chosen. And we see this play out in the very next chapter. We all know David and Goliath. Well, David has the courage and the strength to go and defeat Goliath. But what's happening in that passage is right before that, as David comes to the battlefield, it's Eliab 
the one that Samuel thought would be the anointed one, that starts dissing on him. He starts uh, attacking David's heart and start attacking David with his words. But then we're told that for 40 days, Eliab and the entire Israelite army had been, had been running away from Goliath because they did not have the faith. They were not rich in faith. And David looks Goliath in the eyes and says, well, I might not have the strength, but the Lord God who is with me does. And with one stone defeats the giant. You see, God looks at the heart. And even for those of us who feel like we are worth nothing, he turns all that around. See, God has chosen the poor, James says, to be uh, rich in faith. Why is it that the poorest christians are often the most generous i remember i remember a friend who'd been to the solomon islands uh, for for a mission trip he was just overwhelmed by the generosity these people had nothing but they gave them everything they had trusting that that's what god asked them to do to lavish these missionaries with all the food that they had knowing that god would provide prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, the oppressed, the forgotten, the destitute. See, these are the ones God has a heart for. In fact, in Luke 4, if you remember, Jesus gets taken out into the wilderness. He goes out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He is distraught, he is hungry, he is thirsty, he is alone, but his faith is proven to be strong. And then he returns uh, to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And we're told that he walks into the meeting. So he goes into the meeting, the synagogue. He picks up uh, the, the scroll of Isaiah and he turns to the very uh, passage which is going to sum up his ministry. And he reads it. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He then rolls up the scroll, he sits down, and as everyone's going, what is he talking about? He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, Jesus' whole ministry was to those that the rest of the world looked down upon, were deemed as unclean, sinners, not worthy of anything. See, God's church should be filled with the broken. God's church should be filled with the poor, filled with those the world around us are saying are worthless. Why? Because we have the good news, the good news that you are not worthless, that by faith you can come into the inheritance that goes far beyond anything in this world. By faith you are made co-heirs with Christ. By faith you are set free from your sin. You are forgiven the guilt, the shame. The prostitute that has spent her life in shame is set free by forgiveness. The tax collector who has been going against his own people is set free from the guilt. Any sin that is in your life, anything that you are holding on to, Jesus deals with 
See, Jesus is the one who sets us free. Discrimination is inconsistent with God's way and God's law. And Jesus himself showed us that we should not discriminate. Well, James finishes in this passage by simply stating that Christians should treat others as God has treated them, with mercy, not judgment. And this is where it all gets summed up, really. Uh, Have a look at verses 12 and 13 there. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, at the heart of discrimination is judgment. It's looking down upon others. It's judging the other and declaring yourself, well, perhaps is more worthy or more authority, uh, has a more authority than someone else. So usually we judge because we don't grasp the fullness of our own need for the forgiveness. I remember going into a prison as part of my college course and it, it just struck me that those coming to the chapel were people who had done the most, most grievous of crimes. But the good news that we have here is that God is merciful and while the judgment is to come, for those who come to Christ, we have a substitute to take that punishment for us. So when we come to the judgment seat of God, we are forgiven and set free because the worthy lamb, the one who went through the wilderness and was tempted in every way and overcome that temptation to show that he was without sin, the only human being, was sacrificed on the cross. Why? Because of God's great love for you and me, his mercy. And so when we put our trust in him, we are set free And as I went into that prison, I thought, I have the good news because before God, we all wear the prison greens. But the good news is the one who died on the cross is also the one with the gavel who can declare you not guilty. How? By coming to him for forgiveness. By laying your life down to him and saying, please forgive me. And he sets you free through faith. Before God, we all need his mercy. And what he says here is that be merciful as God is merciful to you. Treat others in the same way that you have been treated by God. He doesn't tell you to go and sit under my footstool. He says, come and be my child. Come and be the co-heir of my kingdom. Come home. But you must lay your life down and come to Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. I just want to leave you with uh, this uh, real-life example. When I lived in Kununurra up in the Kimberley, uh, in the wisdom at the end of the financial year, there seemed to be a lot of money floating around for justice. So the world really showed how they're going to deal with justice and, uh, and, and not in merciful terms, but they, in, in the middle of a small town of 5,000 people, they built this courthouse worth $55 million, smack bang in the middle of the town. Now you can see it up on the screen there. 
Now, I can't describe to you the contrast that that building had with the rest of the town. But it somehow symbolised that we were not going to be merciful. We were going to judge you and you were going to get your just desserts. But to open that came Peter Cosgrove, the Attorney General. Now, when, when Peter Cosgrove uh, came, they decided that they needed to seal every road from the airport around town that would get him to the courthouse and anywhere else he chose to go. So they brought up for the first time, I think, in Kununurra's history, a proper road surfacing equipment. I don't know how much, I, I believe it was like $600,000 a day or something just to seal the road so he had no potholes and a nice road to go on as he went to the courthouse. But then a mate of mine who was the uh, minister of the Anglican Church got a call and he, he was told that Peter Cosgrove wants to come to church on Sunday. Wow! But here's what needs to happen. People need to shake his hand in a certain way. They need to greet him. They're not to talk about certain things. He needs to be seated at this certain place. Oh, and he's got another appointment. So can you move your church service from 9.30 to 9 o'clock that morning? I remember talking to Gary at the time and he had this very dilemma. It's like the scripture says this, what do I do? And so I believe he told them, well, no, we're not moving the church service and we won't afford him any special treatment. But of course, people, when he comes in, they want to know him. And it's in our heart. Discrimination is exactly that. It's part of the problem. James is saying, don't discriminate, whether it's Peter Cosgrove, the Attorney General, whether it's Twiggy Forrest or whether that's the guy who hasn't had a meal for a week, who hasn't had a shower for a month, comes in looking for forgiveness and comes in looking for God. You treat them all the same. But I think this passage goes a little beyond that. I think it goes to a place where we are not meant to just wait for people to come in and treat them that way. But like Jesus, we are to go out with the good news and find the forgotten, find the oppressed, find the hurting, find the poor, find the hungry, find the prisoner with this great news that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He was raised again to life. And when you put your trust in him, you will be forgiven your sin. You will be set free and you will become his child and you will have an eternal inheritance and a joy and peace everlasting. And while we wait for that hope, we can walk on this earth, even in the midst of this COVID pandemic, even in the midst of suffering with joy and peace, knowing that God is our father. He is a good, good father. He is a, a father of goodness. So perhaps today you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus before. Whether you're destitute or whether you're rich, let me encourage you not to delay. Today is the day. And it's as simple as this. You ask God, you talk to him. There's no fanfare. He just wants you to come as you are. Just say, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me for my sin. 
I put my trust in Jesus. And then email me, track me down, comment on YouTube, whatever it takes. And we will guide you into the next step. Because today's the day that God is saying, come home. Come home. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful passage that you are not a God who discriminates. You're a God who is merciful. That you're a God of forgiveness. You're a God of love. And Father God, thank you that in Lord Je- the Lord Jesus we have a sacrifice which we can put our trust in so that we can be forgiven of our sin and set free from the pain, the guilt, the shame of our, the reality of our life. Father God, we pray that we will not discriminate, that we will be a church that looks upon everyone as equal and as worthy because you have declared them to be. Father God, bless us now as we go into this week. Help us to seek our people who need this good news. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.